0: Welcome to SCD Church's Podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at secoastquest.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. All right, you may be seated. Well, good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Thank you, sir. Um, Real quick, before we jump into today's message, uh, one more announcement is this weekend, uh, I think probably by the end of today, is the last time that you can sign up for VBS. And um, we have actually left the registration open for a little bit longer. We have been full uh, beyond capacity because um, we had this—well, okay, I'll be honest. I kind of pushed them a little bit because here's my thing, is I don't want any kids— who potentially could hear about Jesus, not to be able to hear about Jesus because we couldn't find enough volunteers. All right. And so here's the deal is we have allowed more kids to register and we have more kids signed up than we've ever had in the history of Seacoast um, that are going to be here at our VBS. And what is really cool is so many of these kids are coming from uh, families that maybe don't attend church or only do so on certain holidays. And we get to be able to speak into their lives and get to know their families. But we are going to have to step up a bit. All right. So this is where you come. In is I need you to volunteer, because if you don't, I am going to be in deep trouble with the children's department, because we have so many kids coming, we need more people. So um, starting at the starting this weekend, we were short 80-something volunteers. By the end of this weekend, I guarantee that's going to be over 100, because we got about, I don't know, 750 kids or so that are going to be there, so we need your help. So if you'll put the QR code up there, I'm sure everyone's going to just get on their phones right now, pull it out, and that's going to send you to a link where you can sign up to volunteer. There's tons of different places you can volunteer to volunteer. Different levels of commitment. This is like an all play. We need everybody to jump in and to do this because we have so many kids. I don't see a lot of you guys doing this right now. Is that? I'm confused. Is this? Are we not understanding? Okay, well, that's fine. We'll just wait. I mean, they will just text me when we're—no? Okay. Uh, No, but seriously, we need you guys to do this. And so if you can help out a day, the whole week, um, anybody, please, we'll take you. (laughs) No, but seriously, we need your help. Yes, thank you. I see some children's volunteers clapping their hands. Right? He's like, hey, help us. We're going to drown. So please get signed up for that, all right? All right, so uh, as you're doing that, let's play a quick game. This is a game uh, that I have thought of. It's not a very good game, but it'll get you thinking about today. So on this side, uh, starting at one, we have, you had no choice in the matter, okay? So this was completely out of your control. Right here is in the middle. And then a 10 is this was completely completely up to you. It is your choice, all right? We're going to look at some different areas of your life, and you're going to tell me where you think you fall on that scale. So if you're married, let's start there is who you married. Is it a one? You had no choice, it was an arranged marriage, this was it? Or maybe this was the only person that would marry you, okay, so this is right here, you're somewhere in here, or was it more like it was a 10, like, you know, you had all the options in the world, and you chose that one right there, okay? So, give, put, up your, put up your hands, tell me a 1 through 10, 1 through 10, where you're at, okay, I see some 10s right here, 10s, oh yeah, oh yeah, 10, yeah, oh yeah, 10, okay, a lot of 10s, a lot of self-confidence, okay, a lot of 10s in the room, all right, all right, all right, let's try this again. Uh, height. Your height, how much of that did you get to choose? So, were you weigh one, no choice, somewhere in the middle, or you chose to be the height that you currently are right here, okay? Uh, I see a lot of ones. Some of them are the wrong finger. Please, just the pointer finger. Thank you. I don't know what you're trying to tell me. All right. Ones. Okay, so I see some ones over there. All right. Uh, okay, how about this one? Um, so, a lot of you guys were here for height. What about weight? Where are you at on weight? Did you—this no choice. This was somewhere in the middle. This was— completely your choice. You can blame no one except for yourself. Where are you at? Where are you at? So I see some tens out there. I see some tens. I see a five. I see a one back there. Okay. That's uh, called denial. Um, okay. We see fives back there. I see some fives. All right. Okay. So we're kind of across the board on that one. Um, let me go with, uh, let's go with a couple more. Um, if you have kids, if you have kids, the kids that you have, there's no choice They just showed up at my doorstep. Here they are. I don't know. Uh, You had somewhat of a choice in here. Uh, Maybe you chose to have kids, but just not the kids that you have. You would have chosen differently. I get that. Or maybe, uh, maybe this was all you. I mean, you chose to have kids, and these are the exact ones that you wanted. You know. So give me your tens. You're liars. You're liars. You know what? You're able to say that because they're not here. Once you remember what they're like in an hour, you're going to be like, "I should have changed my answer. That was the wrong answer." Okay. All right. All right. I see some. Yeah. Okay. This is the least uh, honest audience that we've had so far this weekend. <laughs> All right. We'll go. Uh, we'll go one more here. As you look at your life as a whole, everything that is your life as you look at it as a whole, um, how much of it were you in control of, and how much of it was just outside of your control? All right, so let's just do that. Show me real quick. You got one through ten. So, if, okay, I see a lot of fives, a lot of fives. You have ten. Oh, a ten. Wow, okay. Uh, a lot of fives, a lot of fives. Okay, back there. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, I think it's an interesting idea uh, is when you evaluate your life, how much of it was my inside of my control? I chose this and how much of it was chosen for me? It's not just important when you look at your past, but it's also important as you kind of wrestle with different things in your future. So let's say that you're going through some marriage issues. At what point do you say, Okay, I've just got to work harder. I've got to do better. We've just got to, we've got to really push forward in this if we're going to make it through. Or you just go, there's nothing I can do. What's going to happen is going to happen. Or when it comes to your kids, when you're parenting them, you go, okay, I've got to be focused. I've got to help them become who they're supposed to be. Or you just sit back and go, you know, they're just going to become who they're going to become. Your career. How much of it is me trying to push forward and work harder or just allowing things to just take place, just sort of happen in life? All of us have to make these decisions. Uh, sometimes we're conscious that we're making them, sometimes we're just making them. But there is this debate that takes place, and it's a philosophical debate, but I think it has practical implications between free will and fate. How much is up to me, and I get to choose, and then how much is chosen for me? It's somehow fate or destiny or outside of my control. So a lot of Americans, they're probably gonna fall more on the free will side. Like we as Americans, we love freedom. It's one of our highest values. And so the underlying assumption is that we have free will to do what we want. That's why we love freedom. So we have the freedom to choose who we marry and, you know, what we're going to wear and where we're going to go, what we're going to do, even down to our very thoughts. We're free to have those. And so most people would fall on that side. And if you look at some of the laws that we have, um, the laws are based on the assumption that no one forced you or you were not forced to to do a certain action that that is illegal, but that thing was chosen by you. You did it. You have to now experience the punishment of it. But there's also something uh, romantic about free will. Nobody wants to be married to someone who had no choice. It's really hard to have a relationship If they're like a robot, they're forced into it. There's no way to have love. It has to be something that you can choose to have or not have. Choose to be in a relationship or not to be in a relationship. We've leaned so much on the freedom and free will side that there's this new thing called manifesting. That we believe if you will focus your mind enough on something that somehow you are going to will that thing into existence. That's how much of control we have. It's not just control of what we do, but somehow control of the world around us. Here's the problem. If we really are that free, like we have that sort of freedom to determine our future, we're in deep trouble because we will mess it up. Think about when you were 16, When you were 16, all the things that if you were in control of and you could decide for your life, how many of those would you now regret? A pretty high percentage of them. And it's not just when you're 16, it's when you're 25 and you're 35 and you're 45 and you're 55. Now, hopefully the percentage of regret goes down as you get older, but you're still going to decide things that would end up being bad for you or for the people around you. And I think part of the reason why we're bad at making these choices is because we don't see how interconnected things are, how things that happen today will affect our tomorrow. There's this thing called the butterfly effect, and you've probably heard of it before, and the concept behind it is is that even these very small things throughout time can have large impacts on seemingly unrelated things. And so the illustration is when a butterfly flaps its wings, over a sequence of events, it ends up in a typhoon on the other side of the world. And, and, you know, that's probably unlikely, but there is something to it. There was a movie in 2004 called The Butterfly Effect with Ashton Kutcher. I watched it one time, I remember, and I just, it totally scared me. It was so scary. And it wasn't like, it's not supposed to be a scary movie, but it really scared me. So the premise of it is that um, Ashton Kutcher has the ability to go back in time into these pivotal moments and change how he deals with them in order to affect his future. And so he'll go back and there'll be these moments in which something didn't go right, or he should have done something differently, and he was going to relive it so that he can do it right this time. But he doesn't understand that there are these unintended consequences in the future. And so every time he would try to fix the past, it would end up affecting the future in ways he didn't foresee, oftentimes in very negative ways. And I think that that's a really good insight into humanity, is we don't see how today may affect tomorrow. Now, there's some obvious correlations, we know that, but there's a lot that we don't, we're not privy to. And this is actually a defense if you get into philosophy, a philosophy of religion about why God may allow certain evil things to happen when we don't see a reason for them. It's because God has a much bigger perspective than we do on the world and on humanity and on time. And so things that we think are just evil and there's no purpose in it in that moment, he sees consequences that are far down the line that we're unable to see. And so he may have his reasons, even though we cannot understand what those reasons are. There's a new pastor uh, on staff which you guys will meet soon, great guy. And he was a missionary for 11 years in Indonesia. And uh, he said the first time that he landed back in the States and they went to the grocery store, he and his wife, they walked in and were just paralyzed with fear. Because there was just too many choices. They weren't used to having to make all of these choices. So they ended up leaving. Because they, could, they couldn't even decide what they were supposed to buy. And it was unique to him, obviously. But uh, psychologists have begun to understand that when we have too much choice, it's bad for us. So Barry Schwartz wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice. And in it, he says that having too many choices is psychologically harmful. It causes us anxiety. And companies have learned this, by the way. I think it was Home Depot that first came up with the strategy of good, better, and best. And so if you go there and there is an item, oftentimes there is three different items that you can buy, and they're either tiered in prices, or if you go to a place like Harbor Freight, one of my faves, they'll just tell you, this is good, this is better, this is best. Why? Because when we walk in and there's all these choices, we go, I don't even know, I'm not even sure what to buy. I've got to go research some more and figure this out. But if you walk in and you go, there's three choices, guess which one we're going to choose? Usually the middle one. I'll go, you know, I don't want to be like cocky and buy the expensive one, but I also don't want to be cheap and get it. So I'll go with the middle one, and I get that. They do that. You know they do that on purpose, right? You know that they're tricking us. You don't? Okay, fine. All right. See, if you think that either there is no God or there's a God that is indifferent to how we live, and so we're free to make whatever choices we want, every day you should be paralyzed by the amount of choices that you have to make. Because every choice that you make can have an unintended outcome or consequence. And so you could be making what you think is a simple choice, but that choice could go one of two ways, and it could totally destroy or change your life if it's all up to us. I remember when I was in college, one of my professors was telling us a story about another student who went home for the holidays, and the whole family decided that they were going to go miniature golfing. And so they're driving as a family to go miniature golfing, and somebody runs a red light, and unfortunately kills one of the children. And the mother could never forgive herself because it was her idea to go miniature golfing. See, when you have all of your choices, all the weight, all the responsibility on your shoulders, that whatever you choose and the outcomes that is, even the simplest thing like, I'm just going to go and have a great night out with my family, is now your fault. You are now accountable for that because it's your choice and you made the wrong choice. Now, other people may go to the other end of the spectrum. Um, This side would be fate or destiny. That whatever is going to happen is going to happen. It's outside of my control. It's somehow written in the stars. It's part of a cosmic plan. It's in my DNA. It's the hand that I was dealt. This has been a belief that goes back thousands of years. You remember the Greek myth of Oedipus. And the story is that there was a prophecy that this boy would grow up and one day kill his father and marry his mother. Very strange story. And no matter what they tried to do to avoid this happening, they couldn't. And eventually it came true. And the reason was because this is fate. You can't change your fate. This is destiny. Now, we may not believe like, in fate or destiny like that, but we do have our own set of beliefs. So one is uh, called scientific determinism. And the idea is, is that everything in the world is natural. That there's only the laws of Physics. And so everything is just a series of cosmic, it's like a domino, starting at the beginning. And so everything, including you and I, operates according to the laws of physics. Even the thoughts that you have in your head are not your own. They're an illusion. We don't have free will. I think Richard Dawkins, uh, the famous atheist, says says it best, he says, "...DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is, and we dance to its music." So on this view is, you are your DNA. And although you may think you're making choices and you're living this life, you're actually just dancing to this DNA and it's all an illusion. You have no free will. That's why we have some people that are arguing that criminals should not be accountable for their behavior. After all, it's not their fault. It's not their choice. It's their DNA. It's where they were born. It's the family that they were born into. It's it's not their choice to be like this. And so why are we punishing them? Now there's other versions of this. I would say there's like a mystical or religious fatalism in which the God or gods or universe or some mystical force out there is in control and has this destiny. And so it's why you hear people say something like, um, like it was their, their destiny to be a star. They were destined to do this with their life. See, what you're saying there is like there was some plan and whether they signed up for it or not, this is where they were going to end up. It was their destiny. The problem with this is if you believe that, then it makes you one of two things, if not both, apathetic and a victim. Because if it's all determined, it's all fate, it's all destiny, why are we trying? Why are we getting up in the morning doing anything, acting as if we can change our lives? We should just, we're on a roller coaster, let's just sit back and just see what happens. Or it makes us a victim. Well, the reason why things aren't going well is because of all of these outside forces. And there's nothing that I can do about it. I'm always going to be this way. And there's nothing I can do to change it. So how how do we as Christians think through this? How are we supposed to think through this tension that we feel between free will and fate? Because we can't deny that there is a tension between the two. And we can't deny that, you know, we we can't live in one side or the other. And so what does it look like as a Christian to live in the messy middle? I'm going to give you three quick stories from the scriptures that are going to help us think through um, what is a pretty deep philosophical discussion, but has some practical implications. First story is the one of Joseph. Now, if you're a church person, you've been around for a while, and even if you're not, you probably heard the story. I'll give you a quick Cliff Notes version of it. Joseph um, was one of 12 boys, and he was the father, Jacob's favorite son. He had this amazing dream coat colored thing, and he was very excited, and everybody wanted it. Okay, but not only was he the favorite, but he was sort of unaware of how other people perceived him. And so he would go, and he would tell his brothers, who obviously were jealous of him and weren't happy that he was the favorite. You know, I've been having these dreams, and the dream is that you, as my older brother, are one day going to bow down to me as your ruler. Anyone who has siblings, can you imagine just trying that conversation for a minute? I have a younger sister. I can just imagine how that would go. Chelsea, uh, one day you will bow down to me. <laughs> She'd be like, <laughs> "You're a crazy person," is what she would say. But he he does this and uh, obviously creates more tension between him and his brothers. And so they decide, you know what, we're just going to take care of this. And they decide that one day they're going to kill him. And they're going to blame a wild animal and say, you know, it was a tragedy. Sorry, dad, but this is what happened. But before they do that, they change their mind. They say, let's have a little sympathy, a little pity. After all, he is our brother. And so let's just sell him into slavery. And so they do. They sell him into slavery. He gets hauled off to Egypt, in which he's purchased by this high ranking official named Potiphar. He goes and he starts working as a slave in Potiphar's house. And he is so good, he's so consistent, he's such a man of character and faith that he ends up getting promoted to overseeing the whole household. Well, people are taking notice of this man, including Potiphar's wife. And she says, I like this, Joseph. I want this, Joseph. He will be mine. And so she goes after Joseph. Joseph says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, no, thank you. She gets angry because she's been rejected. She says, hey, he tried to come after me. He gets thrown into prison in which he starts interpreting people's dreams. Somehow God gave him this gift in order to interpret people's dreams. And as people were hearing about his ability, it eventually got all the way up to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was having these dreams that no one could understand, and so they call him in, and he says, well, what your dreams mean is that there is going to be a famine in the entire land, and so you better start stocking up food now. Pharaoh was so impressed by his abilities that he ends up promoting him all the way to being the second in charge. Well, as the famine hits, Jacob sends the rest of the boys into Egypt in order to get some food, and guess who is in charge of all the food? Joseph. Joseph. But he was a teenager when they last saw him, and he's, now he's a full-grown man, and they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And so he starts messing with them a little bit, and he starts to see who they really are and their character and if they've changed at all. And eventually he tells them, if you want any of this grain, you need to go back home because there's not all your family is here. There's a younger brother that you're missing. Bring him back, and then we can talk about it. And so that kind of the end of the story is Joseph calls them into this one room. They're sitting down. He, he gets everybody out of the room. And he has this big reveal. Here's what he says. He says, I am Joseph, your brother. You can just imagine the music, like dun, 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 you know? And the brothers are probably looking at each other like, okay, we're dead. You know, this is it. I'm pretty sure this is the end of the road for us. But then he says this. He says, you intended to harm me. So it wasn't anyone who forced you. You can't blame anybody else for the choices that you've made this is your choice. You chose to harm me. But then he says, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. Wait a minute. So, so we were free to make the choices that we did, and yet even in that freedom, even in making the wrong decisions, God is still completely in control, and he is using that as a part of his plan. And he says this, he says, What now is being done, the saving of many lives. And his plan ultimately is for our good. So there's that tension again. Is, am I free to make my own choices? Yeah. Is God in control of everything, all of my outcomes? Also yes. And this is that tension that we have to live in. Is the tension between trusting God and taking responsibility. Trusting God and taking responsibility. So every time I speak, um, there's a lot of studying and a lot of prayer that goes into it. And as I think about the responsibility of public speaking as a pastor, um, I realize that I've been given an incredible opportunity. Not only do I get to preach to you God's word, and I get to preach in front of thousands of people, but there is this there's this opportunity to not only change someone's life, but their eternity. And so what I say to you could have that kind of impact. And so that's a huge responsibility, one that weight that I could really be crushed by if I think about it for too long. And yet at the same time, I know that I can change no one's mind. Even if I do a great job, which I'm not saying happens very often, but even if it goes well, I know that the only way that you're going to change is if God intervenes in your life. And so every weekend I am in this tension between I've got to take responsibility and I've got to trust God with the outcomes. Take responsibility, study hard, pray hard, prepare, and trust God with the outcomes. One of my favorite sayings, I've said it for for many years now, is my goal at the end of a weekend is to to do my best and then take a nap. That's it. That's what I, at the end of the day, that's what I want to say. After a weekend, I go, okay, I'm going to do my best and then I'm going to take a nap. And the reason is because, one, I've done my best means I've taken responsibility, and then I'm able to take a nap because I'm at complete peace. I can let it go and let God take care of the outcomes. We have to learn to live in this messy middle between the two. And A.W. Tozer, he's a theologian and preacher from the mid-century. And he says, the way to think about this is sort of like a, a ship that is going from New York to England. He says you're free to do whatever you want along that journey. While you're on the boat, you, you can act as you please. But the destination is set, and that ship will arrive there. So that's kind of how life is. God is, is taking us to this destination, and there's nothing you can do to change that. And yet, you're also free to do what you want along that journey. It's a, that tension between those two. So why would God, um, why would God create the world like that? that we have to live in that tension in the messy middle? Oh, look at Joseph's story. I would imagine that as Joseph is experiencing this pain and this suffering, being a prisoner and being a slave and then having to confront his family, I would imagine that he would ask God, was all this necessary? Like, did we have to go through all this? I mean, it's been years and years and years of pain and suffering. Like, couldn't there have been an easier way to do this? Because, like, you could have—you're God, okay? You could have just said, actually, we're not going to have a famine. That was it. That was done. I could have avoided all of this. Or, or you could have spoken to us directly. You could have—I mean, there are so many different ways we could have avoided this. With just a blink of an eye, all of this could have been erased. And yet you chose for me to go through all of this. Why? And I would imagine God's response, because this is sort of how he's responded throughout Scripture, is, yeah, but— my point wasn't to change your circumstances, it was to change your character. And, and I can change your circumstances in a moment, but I can't change your character in a moment. See, that, that's going to take time. And it's not some new information that's going to change your character. If you've had kids, you understand this. It is not new information that changes them. Oh, I'm supposed to clean my room? Oh, well, why didn't you say something? Oh, I'm not supposed to use that kind of language? I wish I would have known. No, 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 no. We tell them the same thing over and over and over and over again, but it never seems to change them. What changes them? When they start to experience the consequences of their bad decisions. And so we start to allow them to experience those consequences. The same thing is true of you and I. It's not new information that we need. It's not even a miraculous intervention. What we need is is we need to experience the consequences of our decisions, both positive and negative, so that God can change not just our circumstances. He's not really interested in that most of the time. He wants to change us. And that's the way that he changes us. Next story is in Acts 17. The apostle Paul, he gives this very famous speech in front of a bunch of Greek Um, pagans explain to them that there is only one true God instead of this pantheon of gods. And he says something very interesting. Here's what he says. He says, from one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So here, what he's saying here. He's saying that where you are, And the gifts and the abilities and the opportunities, the relationships, the time, the place, all of that is not an accident. That God, before the creation of the world, he looked into the future and he said, I'm going to put you right there. And I'm going to give you all these gifts and resources and opportunities for a very specific reason. The first reason is so that you can know me. This is actually one of the verses that, believe it or not, um, changed the trajectory of my life. As I wrestled with this, especially in a season in my life when I was trying to decide what I was going to do with my future, I was in my mid-20s, and I've shared the story before of whether I was going to do ministry or business, this actually gave me insight into what I should do. Because I haven't had like this miraculous calling, like, Cody, be a pastor. You know, like, no, that's never happened before. Um, It was looking at verses like this and then kind of deducing what God wanted me to do. So a little bit of my background is my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my dad were all pastors. And now there's dozens of pastors in my family. I was raised in the church. I love the church. I I love Jesus. I ended up deciding to follow him at a young age and have for many years. And as I was getting older, I was trying to figure out what I was supposed to do. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm gonna go to Bible school because I think I'm gonna be a pastor. And so I go to Bible school. And as I go through Bible school, this girl, like, she can't keep her hands off me. It was weird for a little bit there. Um, her name is Amy, and it worked out, but it was touch and go for a little bit there because I was like, you were obsessed. <laughs> um, don't ask her her side of the story. It's irrelevant. But uh, it's funny because as, as we were getting to know one another, um, I found out that her mom was a worship leader, and that her dad was a pastor, and that her uncles were pastors, and that she wanted to go into ministry, and she wanted to do the same thing that my mom does, and that her mom does. And, that, and I just started to hear all these, what you might call coincidences, of how so many things were lining up. And then eventually I decided that I wanted to go to seminary, and there happened to be one locally here that's one of the best in the world with professors that I've always wanted to get to know. And I said, and I could tell you just step after step after step of all these things that are pointing in one direction— Cody, what should you do? Should you go into business or should you go into ministry? Now, from an outside perspective, you go, everything is pointing in one direction here, right? It's all pointing. This is where you should go. But guess what? I still had to make a choice. I still had to decide what what I was going to do with my life. He didn't force me. God's not like, hey, no, he goes, here, I'm going to point you in this direction. I've placed you here in this specific time and place with opportunities and talents and abilities, and I'm going to put all these things around you, but you still have to choose. What are you going to do? I think that's what God does for many of us is he he says, where you're at is not an accident. Start to look around and figure out why you're where you are and what it is that I want you to do. Why did I put you there? The first thing is he put us there so that we could know him, so that we could have a relationship with him. But then there's more to it. It's not just to have a relationship. That's first and foremost. But then there's something that he wants to do with our lives. And this is where the story of Esther comes in. Story of Esther is that there was this king, King Xerxes, and he was the king of Persia. It's like the 5th century BC. And he decides the queen isn't acting right. So she's done. I need to find a new one. And so he does this nationwide search in order to find a new queen. He eventually does. Her name is Esther. But Esther has a secret. She's Jewish, not Persian. And through a couple different wars, um, the Persians ended up taking over, and then the the Jews were a part of um, the the kingdom when they took over. And it wouldn't be a big deal, except one of the king's men decided that he didn't like the Jews, and he wanted to exterminate all of them. And Esther's cousin, Mordecai, heard about what was going to take place, that they were all in danger, and here's the message that he sends, sends to her. He says, For if you remain silent at this time relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Now, here's what he's saying. God is in control. We trust him. He has made promises to us as a people, and we believe he's going to fulfill those promises. And so our end is never in question. We know God's going to take care of us. We trust him. And then he says, but you and your father's family will perish. But you also have a choice to make. he continues, he says, and who knows... But that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. God's in control, and yet you have to take responsibility. That he placed you at this specific time and place with those influences so that you could be a part of what he's doing in the world. God's plan is always going to come through. He is sovereign. He is in control. The question is, will you be a part of it or not? You have to trust God and take responsibility. As I look at different areas of my life and trying to balance those two things. One of those areas is, um, is where we're spending a lot of time in sports with my kids. So we're kind of at that age where our kids are playing, you know, football and baseball and soccer and all that stuff. And we're in baseball season, and I didn't know this, but baseball season is every day. It is every day we're at the baseball field. And if we're not there, we're talking about baseball. We're watching baseball. I mean, it is baseball all day, every day. And I started to I started to look at it as not an accident that we are placed on this specific team. Cuz you know, they're kind of random. It's just like I don't know anybody here and I got to get to know it. and I, I realized, you know, maybe God placed us on this team and it's bigger than baseball. Maybe we're placed on this team and so that we could get to know some people that we would never interact with in life. We we're totally kind of random people and yet here we are placed together. Maybe that's not an accident. Maybe God put me here in order to do something. I don't know what that is. It could be something as simple as they have a really bad taste in their mouth when it comes to Christianity, and I'm just going to show them something a little bit different. Or maybe it's going as far as introducing them to Christ. I don't know what it is, but here's what I need to know, and I need to believe is I have a responsibility there. I have a responsibility. It's not random. It's not by chance that I was placed here with these people. And so every time that I have an interaction, I go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? It's not a coincidence that I'm here with them. What is it that you're trying to accomplish through me? And this is true of everybody. is the people that you are surrounded by. Family, friends, coworkers, the school that you go to, the teams that you're a part of, the resources and opportunities that you have. They're not random. It's not an accident. God placed those in your life on purpose for a purpose. And so the question is, will you take that responsibility or not? Can you imagine if You were able to live in that kind of tension between those two things, between taking responsibility and trusting God. Can you imagine what your life would look like? So at baseball, one of the things that I'm trying to teach my son is um, not just how to hit the ball, but how to strike out well. Because there's a lot of striking out in baseball, and when you're eight, there's a lot of striking out in baseball. And what I've seen is that some kids, when they strike out, they take responsibility, but it's all them. Like, there is many, many tears when they strike out. And they are throwing the baseball bat. And it is as if their life is over. I can't believe this has happened. I am nothing. I am no one. Uh, you know, they have this existential, like, despair about them. And then there's other kids who go up and they, they strike out. And it's almost as if, like, they're like, oh, God, got that over with. Let's go snack time, you guys. Who's bringing cupcakes today, huh? You know, I may have one of those kids as well. And, uh, and I just want to go up to them and go, you didn't care at all. Like you didn't think that was you at all. No, you didn't You're totally fine. You can sleep at night. Okay. All right. You do. You do. What I'm trying to teach my kids is to take responsibility, do your best, practice hard, stay focused. And then once you've done that, then just be okay with the outcomes. You strike out. That's okay, dude. God loves you. I love you. Your identity is not found in this. You're fine. And so I want there to be a smile on your face once you've done those two things. And I think that's what it means to be a Christ follower, is we get up every day and we take responsibility. We are not victims. We are not apathetic. We get up and we go, I cannot believe God is going to use me today. This is amazing. And we are full of passion and purpose, and we are ready to see God work and move in in and around us. And yet at the end of the day, no matter what happens, we can lay down in our bed and go, I'm at peace because you've got the outcomes. I took responsibility. I did what you wanted me to do. And now it's up to you. God, you're going to do what you're going to do. And so I just want to do my part. And so all of us are called to live in this messy middle, the tension between trusting God and taking responsibility. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for being so good to us and um, allowing us to be a part of what you are doing in the world and in our lives. Um, Lord, you somehow trust us with some pretty incredible gifts and resources and opportunities. As I think about my own life and my family, um, it is pretty incredible that you would allow me to influence them in, in this kind of way. And Lord, at the end of the day, I trust you. I want to do everything that you've called me to do. I want to become the person that you've called me to be. And yet I trust the outcomes of my life to you. And so with that, I find incredible peace. And I thank you. Say we pray. Amen. All right, we got to stand with me. Thank you for being here this weekend. Please sign up for VBS. We need you, we need you, we need you. Other than that, we will see you next week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.